Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Good to see you this morning. That was a great worship set, wasn't it? Thank you guys so much for that band. Appreciate that. My name's Tyler. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're with us this morning. You know, we're in our summer, our summer pattern. Who's, who's loving the heat, by the way? Is anybody loving the heat? You guys are weird. But anyway, right? I mean, like it's like I let the dog out last night and it was super, I was like, oh my gosh, it is super hot and it's dark. That's not going to be good for today. So glad that we have the air on and then it's working. Amen. Amen. I know everybody's like, amen. Like we drove past a, a movie theater yesterday and it was, the parking lot was full because what do you want to do when it's that hot, right? You want to be in a dark, crowded room with strangers and watch movies. So there you go. So, uh, well, today we were supposed to uh, have a conversation with a couple of part, missions partners that we partner with, Felix and Domi. And uh, unfortunately, they're here. They live in Germany or in Freiburg, Germany. They're your young life part of the Young Life uh, ministry over there, engaging students and young adults, and we were going to hear from them for five to ten minutes this morning. Unfortunately, uh, they're sick. They're positive with COVID, so that's why they're not able to be here. So hopefully we'll get them a chance to, to uh, be here before they leave, but just keep them in prayer. I mean, how frustrating. You know, they were coming with, you know, as you can imagine, they haven't been to Texas and, and several years, and so you come with all the list of all the people and all the things that you want to do, and now that's completely disrupted after you've flown, what is it, 12, 15 hours over from Germany. So there you go. So keep them in your prayers. Another thing, too, Brock Jones, many of you know Brock Jones, who was the young adult pastor here. Uh, he has a show tonight with his band at 6 o'clock, so if you don't have any plans, I think they have air conditioning at, that, at the lounge of where he's playing, and so there you go. You've got something to do at 6 o'clock if you want. I know he would love to see us. So, uh, and so I was thinking, you know, we're going to be looking at Acts 2.42 this morning. It's a familiar passage if you're, uh, as far as how the early church first initially started gathering. And so, and so it started making me think of first, start, uh, you know, and, and like when I came to Christ back in 2003 and I jumped into a small group, like it was a really formative time for me. Right? I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really go to church by myself, but I, I knew I needed to be in community. I needed to be in relationship. Uh, and so I got in a group uh, of other guys around my age, and, and uh, those two years were just really awesome. You know? and, and what formed out of that was just a spiritual community that follows me to where I am now even. You know? I still have a relationship with several of those guys in that, that first group. And, and so that's kind of the thing. You know, when we think about Acts, you know, and we've been in this series called The Kingdom of God, and the idea is like, let's look at the period post-resurrection, pre-ascension of Jesus. And so, you know, we celebrated that a couple weeks ago, and then Pentecost was last week, and we're getting close to the end of this. But I just thought, you know, this is the kingdom. How formative is it of the church as in the book of Acts, at least at the beginning? So there's a couple of ways of looking at the early church in Acts. A couple ways to look at Acts, period, let alone not just that it's a letter in the Bible and there's lots of things that go on in it as far as Paul's missionary journey and whatnot, but there's two words. It's descriptive and prescriptive, right? And so what I mean by that is, is you could look at Acts one of two ways, typically. One, descriptively. And so look at the church in Acts. Descriptively means we view it through a lens as it is describing how the church began. So that makes sense. It's descriptive, right? It's telling the story of how the church started. 
you know, Acts is describing the story of the church's formation. It's not instructing the formation of the church. See that, right? So that's descriptive. Another way of looking at it, the second way is looking at it prescriptively. So looking at the early church in Acts prescriptively means we view Acts through a lens as it dictates how the church should be formed. So see the difference? Not only is it telling the story, it's also saying this is how it should be, right? And so this is the classic conversation uh, uh, in pastors is, is Acts descriptive or prescriptive, right? Meaning, is it just describing what the early church did or is it actually telling me I should be doing these things or the church should be doing these things? Acts is the instruction for the church's formation for all time if you look at it prescriptively. And so for me, like I take, this is pretty typical for me, I try to find some kind of middle path in most things, trying to, uh, you know, find, not be on the edge, but trying to try to find something in the middle. So I take a more balanced approach when it comes to Acts. I think Acts is actually a both and. I think it's actually descriptive and prescriptive. It could do the, both things simultaneously because the Word of God's living and active in that regard. And so for me, as it describes the formation of the church post-ascension, it also prescribes some specific ways the church should live its life. Get that? Let me say that again. So as it describes the formation of the church post-ascension of Jesus, he's gone into heaven, angel says, hey, why are you here? Like, you need to leave, that kind of thing. But it also prescribes some specific ways that you and I should live our life as the body of Christ gathered, right? The church isn't this place, it's us, it's a people, it's a, it's a, you know, the church literally means ecclesia, the called out ones. And so last week, as we looked at Peter's first sermon in Acts, Acts was descriptive of the audience that Peter was speaking to, right? If you remember, it was Pentecost, there's the tongues of fire that come down, people start thinking they're drunk because they're speaking in all these different languages, and descriptively, Peter was talking to the Jewish audience that had gathered around the disciples, who are now called the apostles. But prescriptively, he was also saying, no, actually, if you want to be with God, Jesus is found, salvation is found in Jesus alone. See that? See how it's describing the event, but also prescribing that Jesus is the only way to get to God, right? So we're going to look at it this, this passage this morning as well. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to do verses 42 through 47. So we're going to finish chapter 2 this morning in Acts. So Acts 2, 42, and you already, this is a really famous passage. It's called the Fellowship of the Believers. So I just want to read this over us this morning. And so, and they, meaning those who were the church, the apostles, the, those who were converts, the followers of Jesus, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. Sounds, sounds pretty idyllic, right? I mean, like they were thankful, and day by day, people were being added to the gathering, to the body of Christ. And so this morning, 
while that's descriptive, I want to look at two prescriptive expressions of the church that are found in this passage. I want to look at two prescriptive expressions of the church, and they're called inward and outward, right? We're going to see that in just a second. How does the church express herself, us? How does the church then, how does the church now, should we express ourselves inwardly to the people gathered and outwardly as it engages the existing culture around it, all right? How does the church express herself inwardly to the people gathered and outwardly as, the, as, as it engages the existing culture around it? And just verse 42, inwardly, the church is about three things at its early formation. This is what the church, I think, looks like. If we're not doing these things, then we're probably not doing what God would have us to do. And they're found in verse 42. You see those there? It says, one, that they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles or the teaching of the word, the fellowship, and to the partaking together of communion. Three things. Now, we do a lot more than those three things, and most churches do. But at its base level, if the church isn't doing these three things, I argue that we're actually not being a church, right? Because church is more than just being in this room, right? As a church gathers inwardly, it has to do these things because has to do them together. And here's the thing. You can't have unity in purpose, right? You can't have unity in purpose without unity in action. See that? I can say in my heart all day long, I want to be unified with everyone. But if I actually don't take steps to do those things and express those things together as a corporate body, then we're probably not going to be very unified. That's why we take communion every month, because it is something that we are commanded to do. And here's the thing, like, I don't know about you, but like, we all have preferences. I have preferences, like, uh, you know, Travis is best with me because of this color scheme behind me. I have preferences, right? And, and here's the thing, like, like, the church does too. Like, there are things that we prefer doing over other things. And so, one, if we raise teaching over the other two, like, you know, typically we have a preference where one of those three is easier for us than others. If we raise teaching over the other two, Community and fel- or communion and fellowship, the church prioritizes knowledge attainment over spiritual relationships and identifying with Christ as his disciple in communion. See that? Like, so like if we're that kind of church, which maybe we are, maybe we're not, I don't know, nothing wrong with that. But if we don't strive for some balance in these three things inwardly as a church ex- expresses herself, then we, then we acknowledge and we prioritize attainment and knowledge in, in communion over just the teacher of the word. Now, here's the thing. Like, I think prescriptively what the, what the Acts account is saying is that we actually should be in relationship with each other, which I think we do. But that's important. Two, if it raises spiritual relationships over the other two, so if spiritual relationships are the goal over teaching and communion, then it prioritizes. You ever heard of this? The church is like a country club. You ever experienced a church like that? Like, has a country club mentality, like, hey, we're good, we're good, you're, you know, maybe new, and sometimes it's hard for people, it's funny, it's, uh, when you think about it, it's hard for people who are new to sometimes burst through the circle and get into the core of an existing church, because we're so comfortable with one another, right? Like, that becomes that actual barrier, when actually, if you asked anybody, like, we would say, no, we want people to feel welcomed and comfortable here, but our comfort, when it's taken too much, actually becomes a barrier to other people finding community there. See that? Number three, if it raises communion over the two, which is important, the church prioritizes identification with Christ without ever growing 
or actually having any spiritual relationships to put that at work. So you see what I'm saying? Like when it comes to inward, inward stuff, for the church to be healthy and unified, it has to equally, we have to equally stress the teachings of Scripture, discipling spiritual relationships, and identifying with Christ in communion. If we don't do well at all of those things, or the best that we can, then we're lacking in the kind of church that I think God wants us to be. So in that regard, like if you notice, without those three, th- those three things present, I don't think the church is adding day by day by day, as it said at the end of the passage there. So, does that make sense? Inward. Verse 44, I love this. We have to see ourselves as a people together who in Christ have all things in common. Now, you want to be countercultural in today's climate. And I'm not talking about how hot it is outside. I'm just talking about just the world that we find ourselves in. You want to be countercultural to that thing, to that mess? We actually look at one another as we have all things in common. That is countercultural. The perspective that each Christ follower should have, regardless of how it divides itself politically or ideologically or in polity or in church practice, regardless of what divides us functionally, you and I have to see each other as we have everything in common. Here's the phrase. There are more things that we agree on in Jesus than the things that we don't. And if we make Jesus the headship, the kingship, the top of the line, then all the things that kind of annoy us about perspectives and preferences and stuff will start to melt away because we actually want to make it about Jesus Christ as opposed to always our preference. Now, it's easy for, easy for me to see because, you know, I've got my color scheme back here, right? But, like, my goal, my aim my, and I think what God has called this church to do is to make Jesus one and let everything else fall, the, fall away. The reason the church struggles to live its life balancedly, inwardly and outwardly is because we don't have a proper perspective on what it means to live with all things in common. Think about it. Like, I, I have a hard time doing that my, with my spouse, right? I mean, like, you know, like, someone always controls the remote control more than others. There's always someone who's a saver, not a spender, right? You, you know, when you choose where you're going to eat dinner, you know, like someone always picks, right? Rarely do you have, this is, this is ha- happens all over the time. But what I love about verse 44 is regardless of position or rank, gifting, past sins, our perspective, we are together and have all things in common because there is one Christ, one baptism, one cross, one resurrection. Right? Let me say it again. Regardless of all the things that try to divide us, and that's what, it's, that's what the world wants to do. When I say the world, I just mean anything that would be, that doesn't put Jesus first. That includes Satan. Anything that, that the world would want to do is to dis- distract us and divide us. And regardless of that, we have one Christ, one baptism, one cross, one resurrection. And so for you and I, I think that the thing is, is, like, what does it look like for us to gather on a Sunday and then scatter out into the world where we all have all things in common still? Because Jesus is that big. His umbrella is that large. His shadow is that good. His love and his grace for us is that good. So that's the inward piece. I think Acts is describing inward. Like, we should be about those three things and do them to the best of our ability. Amen? You agree? Yeah. I think we're getting there, right? Here's the thing. Like, we'll never attain it fully. That's what I love about following the Lord is, while I'll make progress, and then there's some seasons I might take a step back. Like, churches are the same way. Like, we'll make progress toward things, and then we'll take a step back. 
but we'll never be complete. We always have something else that we could work toward for the glory of Jesus. See that? But now let's shift to the other prescriptive thing from this morning is how the church should live its life outwardly. We should live, this is verse 45, I just want to read this again real quick. Verse 45 says this, and they were selling their, now this is crazy to me because I don't like selling things and I, I, I have a lot of stuff floating around that I don't use all the time because I think I need it. But they were selling, and mostly it's outdoor gear. But anyway, all, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What a crazy call. Then, you know, we talk about like disparity and, and incomes and all that. Now, like it was, you know, we could hide that sometimes, you know, like I could be, you know, really hurting financially but have a new iPhone because there's easy ways for me to attain that. Then, like, it was obvious. A lot of times I think we assume where people might be because it seems that way when it's not as obvious. Back then, in the first century, it was very obvious. And so the church, I love just the picture here, the church just living its life with a radical generosity where people in need had access to God spiritually and their needs met financially. Think about that. What a call. What a great call. To honor the Lord is where that the church gets the opportunity to live its life in such a way where we, through our lives and how we gather and how we scatter into the world and how the church in Acts was forming itself, that they did it in such a way that people had access to God spiritually through their lives being outwardly focused. That's crazy. That's countercultural. And then also, through that, their needs met financially. Because oftentimes, I don't know about you, but like for me, when I was a new Christian, I was a little wary of what being in a church meant because I'd never really been in one. And what I had to learn was is I had to make sure that those people I was talking about you know, earlier, I didn't say them by name, but I had to make sure that they loved me before I ever wanted to listen to what they had to say. They cared for me in a way that they weren't requiring anything from me in response, that they just wanted to care for me, right? And so to reach the world for them and for us means to make room for the world in our lives. Think about that. Like, if we want to reach the world, which we should, if we want to be a force for good, we want to point to Jesus and his glory, that means we have to reach the world because the world's not typically in here on a Sunday morning. It's out there, right? Right, and so how, what's, what's my life look like? What's my schedule look like? What are my day-to-day -day look like? Am I in a tunnel view and I'm always surrounded by people who think exactly like me or do I actually put myself, here you go, in places and situations where I'm actually exposed to other ways of thinking, but the flip side of that coin is true too. Am I exposing other ways of thinking to the way that I think about Jesus and the way that we should think about Jesus? So to reach the world means to make room for the world in our lives. And so the question is, is how does the church live a life of both being inwardly and outwardly focused? Inwardly and outwardly focused. Like we talked about at the beginning this morning, this is prescriptive. It's saying that we should do both. Like we, and oftentimes some churches, and you know, and we've, I know we've done this in the past too, like we'll focus on the out at the expense of the in and we'll focus on the in at the expense of the out. We've got to find this middle ground this middle course of where we could do both at the same time. It's a both and. 
And so how we do that is it flows out of, here's the beautiful, beautiful part where we all come into play. It flows out of our inward, individual, personal relationship with Jesus. Because this church is a gathering of our individual, personal relationships with Jesus. Amen? Like it is. Like that's the beauty of the, of the body is that it doesn't all look like I look or it doesn't, thank goodness, right? But it doesn't think all the ways that I think that it flows out of all of us. And so I want to look at a passage where two sisters have the same encounter with Jesus, but two different experiences, okay? Two sisters, if you know them, their name Mary and Martha. They had the same encounter with Jesus, but have radically different experiences this morning. Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there, I'll give you a second to get there from your Bible app or if you've got the word in your hands. Luke chapter 10 just verses 38 through 42 is where we'll be. Mary and Martha. So Mary and Martha, just so you know, uh, you know, Jesus had his followers, and Mary and Martha were one of them. They have a brother named Lazarus, if you know that name at all. But it says this, now as they, again, they being Jesus and the disciples. Verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. It's a good thing to do. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. It was customary to invite a teacher into your home and for that teacher to share the word, uh, whatever was rattling around in their brain. So Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Actually, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. And she went up and said to him and said, Lord, do you not care? I love this. Like, if you're going to complain to, about a sibling, complain about them to Jesus. I do it all the time. It doesn't fix anything. But there you go. Lord, do you not care? And there you go. Like, you put it on them. Like, you really want to complain? You make it their fault, not yours, right? Anyway, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? That sounds like a sister thing to say, doesn't it? I've got, we've got three kids, and they never argue that way. But there you go. And then Mary says, and Martha, excuse me, says this, tell her then to help me. And verse 41 said, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Wow. Mary has chosen the good portion. Now, uh, I'm reading a book right now called uh, by Vance Pittman called The Stressless Life. It's really helpful. I love how it talks about different definitions of what stress is. Stress is my inability to meet life's demands where my gift set is. Like that's, I feel stressed when I don't feel like I have the ability to meet the demands that are on my life. He, does, he, decide, he de, um, describes stress as that way. And then peace as the opposite of that is, is acknowledging that I don't actually have the ability to meet life's demands and then be submissive to God's will in the middle of that. Like I'm so that I think the picture is is when I'm stressed, I should just relinquish control and say, God, will you just help me through all of this? Helpful. Because, you know, we're super busy. So some of this is from the book because he uses this example, but I love it. One relationships. So remember, the goal is how do we balance as a church being inwardly and outwardly focused? That's it. Like, that's the name of the game. We want to be what God wants us to do. We're going to do both. 
Can't do one or the other. So one, relationship with Jesus was part of Martha's plan. In the passage there, she's running around, she's being a good host, which are all worthy things to do, right? You ever catch yourself, like you've got people coming over, right? And like everything's got to be clean. And for us, it means if we could get the 30 dishes out of the sink and hide them somewhere so that we could do them later because we tend to do that. Like we're, we're dish pilers. It's really gross. But you know, and, and, and you ever done, done that and you're like, I will never, ever, I will never, ever forget to soak a pan again when you're scrubbing it, right? You're scrubbing the pan and you're like, this is the grossest thing that I've ever done. I will never do it again. And what happens next week? You do it again, right? Right, because, you know, if we would ever just take the time to actually unload the dishwasher, then we could put the dirty, that's why it's there, right? But there you go. So that's Martha. Martha's just running around being a good host, right? Relationship with Jesus is important, but she's being a good host because that's required of her. So relationship with Jesus in this encounter is part of Martha's plan. But look at Mary. Mary's got all the things to do too, but what does she do? Relationship with Jesus, she's at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching. She's devoting her life to her. She could care less about all the other things. And so relationship with Jesus was Mary's plan. See the difference? For Martha, it was part of the plan. For Mary, it was the plan. And for you and for me, I think, at least this is me in my case, like, like there are days where I know I need to spend some time with Jesus and it's a part of that plan as opposed to being the plan. You ever feel that way? Because how busy we are and how connected we are, right? Like in, with technology and all the things. Like we were talking about this morning as the worship band was praying. We were just saying we're not meant to have that kind of stimulus at us all the time. Like we were driving somewhere with the kids and, you know, the kids, you know, what do they do five minutes into a car ride that's over 20 minutes? Are we there yet, right? You know, and I love that question because I just laugh at them, you know, because they're not equipped to be bored because they've got screens staring at them in the face all the time, right? And we actually limit those screens, you know, like we just don't, you know, uh, a couple years ago, I convinced my oldest to, to like, hey, you need your own ID and so you're going to have this thing called screen time. It's really great. You're going to love it, right? So that way I don't have to manage, I can manage her phone remotely and lock it down and she goes, Oh, I'm going to get my own email? Yeah, this sounds great. And then she realized what it was, right, where it was actually just more control and safety for her. And she goes, hey, can we go back to the other way? <laughs> no, sorry, because this is better for me, not for you. And that's why I did it. But you're welcome, and I love you, you know? <laughs> like, you ever do, you know, like, kid, like, they don't understand sometimes. I think we're the same. Like, we're not meant to live in a world where we get all this stimulus, all this bombardment, all these things vying for our attention. Like, it's a gift to be bored. My kids are like, gosh, you know, we don't have Wi-Fi right now. I'm like, yeah, you'll, you'll survive. I went long car trip. My parents got divorced when I was little. I spent a lot of time in the car with no screen in front of me, and somehow I survived, you know? And, you know, and if I can, they can, but whatever, right? But that's the thing. Relationship with Jesus was part of Martha's plan. Relationship with Jesus was Mary's plan. And it should be for, uh, the same for us. If Martha had the time, don't miss this. If Martha had the time, she was going to spend time with Jesus. Man, if I, if I could get to that day, that's at the end. Let me, let me get, I got to get this stuff done you know, as a church, like, we've got to get all these things done. We'll get there. 
But if Mary had time, I love this, if Mary had time for nothing else, she was going to spend it with Jesus. Her conviction and her calling and her heart motive was very clear. And so our time with Jesus is the number one factor that determines the frequency and the health of our internal and external relationships. Did you know that? Our time with Jesus is the number one factor. It's not how much sleep I got, how much food I've eaten, what's going on in my world, if I'm stressed or not. Our time with Jesus, because here's the thing, Vance keeps talking about this, like we can't outrun stress, but yet God calls us to live a life abundant. How do you do that when there's stress everywhere crouching around the corner waiting to get you, right? It's our time with Jesus. It's the number one factor. And so, like, and it's the number one factor, too, for our church. Like, if you think about it, our time with Jesus collectively as individuals determines the health of their internal and external relationships with Jesus. This is where we all have a part to play. Like, if you're waiting on me or Travis or someone else to set this in motion, like, first of all, we can't. Second of all, I don't think it's biblical because it takes all of us. That's the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ. Amen? My marriage, my friendships, my kids, my parents, my neighbors, strangers, all the discipling relationships that I might be part of are all dictated out of the health of my relationship with Jesus, and yours are too. And that's the beautiful thing, and it comes like this. Similar to Mary and Martha, Jesus is a part of my daily week slash or daily slash weekly plan. Or Jesus is my daily slash weekly plan. See the difference? Just like Mary and Martha. Jesus is either a part of it or he is it. And I think what I love in Acts here, in the picture of Acts, back to Acts for a second, is that that's the picture that we have of the early church. It's prescriptive. It's not descriptive. I'd love for it to be descriptive because I could let myself off the hook, but I don't think it is. Rather, say it in another way, Jesus is either the building block of our days or something we throw on at the top at the end of it. So that's the question you have before us. That's the question we have before us as a church as we're looking at Acts, as it is for, the church is forming right before our eyes in the Scripture. Is, is Jesus going to be the building block? As he says he is, what does he say? I am the cornerstone. I am the foundation. Upon this rock, the church will be built. Him, right? Either he is the block, or he's something we throw on top that usually falls off because we don't balance it well. Relationship with Jesus takes time, but also relationship with Jesus leads to relationship with others. See that? Because he's at work even when you're asleep. He's at work even when we're asleep. Like the Acts church had no idea that we would be sitting here looking at them 2,000 years later. Jesus is at work right now in our midst, within you, within this church, and all we're doing is playing catch-up. Isn't that great? I love that. I don't know. I actually get to find out something that I don't know. That's a mystery that is being revealed day by day, moment by moment. His will, not just for me, not just for you, but for us together. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So relationship with Jesus takes time, but it leads to relationship with others. I'm a runner, um, and so the worst, the most common injury for runners is something called plantar fasciitis. You ever had plantar fasciitis before? Have anybody been blessed to have plantar fasciitis before? I have. It's the worst. And when I mean the worst, 
meaning you get up out of bed and you're rested and you can't step on your foot because you feel like someone's jabbing a knife in it. Like it's barely, you can barely put weight on it, right? And so what it is is, is uh, the, the tendon that goes from the toe to the heel or whatever that thing's called. There's medical people in the room. I'm butchering it, but whatever. Tendon, what is tendon sheath? I don't know, whatever. Yeah, fascia, whatever that is. There you go. It's fascia. That's helpful. There you go. It's fascia, right? The fascia gets inflamed. It gets micro tears, and it hurts. And so when you step or when you run, that repetitive motion exaggerates the cracks in your fascia. And so I had it in one foot for about 18 months, and then it left that foot, and it went in my left foot for the next 18 months. So I had plantar fasciitis for about two and a half years or so. Like, not a lot of fun. Now, you know what you should do when you have plantar fasciitis? Rest. Do you know what runners don't like to do? Rest, because you feel like you're out of whack and, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. When I said earlier about it taking time, time with Jesus, it takes time to build a relationship with Jesus, and that leads to other relationships that also take time. Do you know how I could have fixed it? If I had just taken a little more time on the front end, now notice I said front end, not on the back end, on the front end of actually warming up and doing a little more stretching, that fascia in my feet were, were gonna, were probably would have released a little bit more and it, I wouldn't have struggled with it as long. But me being the person that I am goes, here I could just you know stretch my each calf for about 30 seconds and I'll use the first mile to warm up and then I'll go run, right? You ever catch yourself with that kind of schedule? Right? You catch yourself with that kind of schedule? Because here's the thing. Sometimes if we actually took time on the front end, we would save ourselves pain on the back end. Let me say that again. If we actually take time with Jesus on the front end, we'll actually save ourselves some pain and strain on the back end. And I think that's what Acts is trying to teach you and for me. So, a couple of questions. One, does your schedule include biblical community as prescribed in Acts 2? Where we are devoted to teaching, where we are devoted to spiritual relationships and identifying with Jesus in communion together as his body. Or, or, not prescribed, or is it just ordered around the biblical community that is prescribed in Acts 2? There's the question, right? That's the question that I think you and I face all the time. Am I ordering my life around Jesus or am I actually prescribing my life around Jesus? Or said another way, do you make time for community or do we just fit it in? Do we take, make time for actual true relationship and community or do we fit it in? Or better yet, do we fit it in when we really need it because we need the lifeline? Like Jesus does not want you or me to live in such a way that we're raising the flare when we need something relationally. He wants us to enjoy the benefits of being his body together all the time. As much as that screen's in front of your face, he wants that kind of community for you all the time. And man, it's so hard, isn't it? Because I've got a job and I've got kids and I've got a spouse and I've got other things going on. Man. So, but imagine this. Imagine if God did this with us. Imagine if he just said, well, I'll get to you when I get to you. I've got a whole world to kind of manage. I've got the history to write and all those things. There's, there's, there's tragedies moving on all over the, you know, going on all over the world. I'll see you when I see you. 
because you and I are hardwired with the DNA that reflects the Trinity. They're always, they're in constant relationship. That's the horror of the crucifixion. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, he's, he's commenting on the fact that his relationship with the Father was broken in death and crucifixion. That's why he went to the grave. Right? But you and I are hardwired with that same kind of DNA. Uh, there's a UCL, UCLA excuse me, study I was reading this week and, and identified Gen Z, so those born 1997 to 2012, as the loneliest generation. The loneliest generation. Now, don't worry for Gen Zers that are in the room. Uh, it doesn't get much better for everybody else either, right? The loneliest generation. So here's the thing. Like this, on this scale, they said if there was a number of 43 or higher, greater than 43, you were considered lonely, right? And so the Gen Z generation won the gold medal with a score of 48.3. Okay, 48.3. Millennials, the next generation behind, 45.3. Gen X, that's my generation, thank goodness, 45.1. My generation's the best, by the way. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. 45.1, and boomers, not the, you know, we, we love, we love y'all too, 42.4, so just below. But man, can you imagine just the creeping up of that? And so here's the thing, the low, now I wonder why that is. We're the most connected, we have all the technology on the planet, we have open, we have open access to most resources that people would ask them, but yet we're somehow lonely. Like 48.3, those are my two oldest kids. I have a soon-to-be 13-year-old and a just-turned-11-year-old this past week. Those are my oldest kids. But the reality of it is, is a lot of people feel lonely. A lot of people are lonely. They don't just feel it. They are. And that's the worst. You ever come to a realization where you're like, oh, wait, I don't just feel lonely. I am lonely. Or, like, I, I feel sick, and then you realize you are sick, and you're like, oh, shoot. You know, like, like imagine that. But so do you want to know why kids in middle school and high school and young adult ministries and adult ministry matters? It's because you and I, students especially, relationships matter more than they ever will ever let you know, than ever let on to know. Let me say that again because I didn't sound right. They matter more than they will ever let on. There you go. They want it, but they don't often want to show you they want it because then that means they puts them in a position to need something. That's the barrier to relationship, is am I willing to put myself in need for someone else to either meet that need or not, and then I'm disappointed, and then we're off to the races. Do you realize we do that with Jesus all the time? We do that with Jesus all the time, but yet Jesus has met every need spiritually for you and for me for all of eternity, regardless of what goes on in our day-to-day. And so where where do the, the... the Gen Zers and the Millennials learn it from parents and adults, I think, because it's easier to give them time on a screen than to engage your heart. It's easier for you and for me to be busy and to get to it at the end of the day than to engage Jesus's heart, not just for us, but also for the world. See that? To engage Jesus's heart, not just for us, but also for the world, and to do that to one another. There's a reason why there's a one another's passage in the scriptures. Because it's easier for us to be on a screen than relate to others. Just like it's easier for adults to stay busy than allow Jesus or others to engage our hearts spiritually. We often check the hard work 
for the easy work. And it's because we keep ourselves too daggone busy. Amen? Amen. So here you go. Okay, so back to Acts 2.42. The band's going to come back up. Acts 2.42 through 47 is hard because it is prescribing. Like a doctor would write a prescription. Right? You've got a prescription, right? You go to the pharmacy and they fill it. Even if the doctor miswrote it, they have to fill it by law by the way it's written. We've all experienced those, those slips ups and you're like, ah, you know, my doctor should know me better. You know, that whole thing, right? But this is what Acts is doing. It is prescripting inward and outward relationships as a priority and that that flows out of our personal relationship with Jesus. This is something that we have to get right and that we'll keep getting right. And so I would say it this way very simply. I think you and me, we are commanded to be Marys with Jesus, not Marthas. But it's a lot easier to live a Martha life. Agreed? So my invitation to you is, is, is I want our church, as we continue to grow and continue to be what God wants us to be, is that I want you and me to be a bunch of Marys. That's the picture. See, I know, and it's never convenient. And things always vie for our attention. And you ever notice, like, like I'm going to have some quiet time this morning. I actually want to spend some time in prayer with the Lord. And then all these things start happening. Have you ever noticed that? Do you know why that is? Because hell and the world would like to dissuade you from that decision. Actively, the, the world would like to dissuade you and me being this kind, have these kind of relationships. Because I think we are more natural Marthas but Jesus died and resourced us to be Mary's. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to pray. So just as we continue to do things around this church and what we do moving forward, like the idea is that we want to get these relationships right. We want to get the inward relationships right. We want to get the outward ones too. And here's the thing. It takes all of us to do that. So let me pray. Lord, I pray um, for this picture that you've given us this morning. Just, I, I, get, I just get this image of the church in Acts of just people gathered and celebrating like their lives depended on it. Like I know things are hard in, in, in the world and we've all had hard seasons and we might be in the middle of one, but what I love is that we could still, in the midst of that hardness, still celebrate the goodness of who you are. And there are a lot of people thirsty that are drinking sand on screens. And yet, Jesus, you say you're the living water and that you've planted us in streams where the water never runs dry. So I pray that you would just have us be that kind of church, be that kind of people, myself included. It is super easy to get busy and to get five or four or five days into my week and then realize that I've had little time for other people and most importantly, you, Jesus. And so I pray, God, not as a, you have to do this. We get to do this. And so as we sing and as we respond, God, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually. Show us where we could be more like Mary and less like Martha. As a church, God, I pray that as you continue to lead us, show us where we could be less like Martha and more like Mary. Because it's for your glory and for your renown. In Jesus' name, amen.